Fighting for freedom every day. Republicans right now, the conservatives, which unfortunately, this is what we have to do every time, even after a vote where people are sick and tired of the establishment, they're sick and tired of the squeezy, middle-of-the-road, squishy kind of Republican rhinos, and we vote conservatives in, then we have to fight tooth and nail in D.C. to actually be heard within the Republican Party. This is the Voice of Reason with Andy Hoosier. Yes, indeed it is. What's up? Welcome into it. It is a Wednesday, middle of the week, greatest day of the entire week, my friends. It is the post-to-post Monday, the pre-pre-Friday celebration. So much to get to and talk about today. My head's spinning. I'm trying to stay on top of it all. We have a Speaker of the House vote that may not happen today for the Speaker of the House, but at least we chose a nominee, it sounds like. So that's good news on the Republican side. Democrats already knew what they were going to do. We have that. We have some updates from Israel and a heck of a lot more on the show. Dr. Pierre Corey, he'll be joining us at the bottom of the hour today. He is the author of the book, The War on Ivermectin. As we look at why the big pharma despised ivermectin during the COVID-19 pandemic and could it have helped more individuals during that time? I know 2020 hindsight's always the best, but maybe we should learn about it now to where we don't make the same mistakes again moving forward if, God forbid, we ever have another pandemic. So we'll look forward to chatting with him coming up in just a little bit. Before we get to those, though, did you see, <laughs> I, I have to laugh because the mainstream media is absolutely twisted themselves into pretzels and they don't know how to how to handle these issues right now they really 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 want to stand with the radical progressive left-wing socialists that is the b squad of alexandria ocasio-cortez and rashida Tlaib and ilhan omar they really want to stand with them because ideologically that's where they do stand that's where they, that's what they believe that's what they want to believe And it may not be every single host on the mainstream media, but it is the networks themselves that are trying to promote this agenda. Some of the hosts are recognizing how far that they've come, and they're starting to push back just a little bit. But when they do, they look like they're going against their, not only network, but they're going against their fan base, their viewers that stand for predominantly what the networks are trying to promote as well, just trying to regurgitate. That's why the network is obviously promoting that agenda, because that's how they get viewers, that's how they get their sponsors, that's how they continue to uh, do what they do, is just to feed, even if it's a complete lie, just feed it to them constantly, because that's what they want to hear. And now some of the hosts are like, wait a second, we need to step back from this just a little bit. They uh, CNN apparently had tried to interview... Some of the leaders from Hamas with the ongoing assault with Israel and the war that's going on there. Now, why would you why you want to interview Hamas in the first place? I don't know. I mean, I guess trying to understand why they're doing what they're doing. But it comes off almost as you're supporting the Palestinians and Hamas, which is a very bad thing to do. And in fact, I made a statement on this on social media today that any elected official that has come out in support of Hamas or the Palestinians at all against an ally of the United States and a terrorist organization that has called for the death to America for decades needs to immediately be removed from office because you're an elected official representing the United States of America. And as an elected official, a government official that's making decisions for the United States of America and you're out there promoting an anti-Semitic message You're promoting an anti-ally message from one of our 
strong allies, obviously, for the United States, and you're supporting an organization that openly advocates for the death of this nation, means that your best interests do not lie with the United States of America or the government that you are in control of and that you represent. So I made a bold, I don't think it's a bold statement, but apparently it is, saying that any elected official that is advocating for the uh, support of Hamas or Palestine should be immediately removed from office because that's the way that things need to be. Now, that being said, the mainstream media, again, is in the tizzy because they're wanting to support that side as well, but they don't want to support that side. They want to look like we're unified as a nation going and supporting Israel, but yet at the same time, yeah, you know, there are radicals that are just questioning this on whether we should be doing this or not. And earlier today, CNN and Chris Cuomo apparently had a potential sit-down with one of the leaders of Hamas that didn't turn out very well. But then he had to go on the air and actually tried to defend himself from the viewers that were angry that they didn't get to hear from the Hamas leader. Now, we could go down the mindset and the mental illness of those that were wanting to hear from a Hamas leader from CNN Network saying that, oh, I want to hear what they have to say because it's going to be awesome. They're going to talk about how evil the Jews are and they're going to talk about how bad Israel's. They actually wanted to hear from these people and the network and that Cuomo had to actually defend himself on why they didn't actually get to hear the interview. Those of you saying, oh, you were going to talk to Hamas and then you didn't because you're biased. Please. All right. No or be quiet. All right, here is the video of Osama <laughs> Hamdan, the main spokesperson for Hamas. Dusty, show what happened. He was watching the show. I will give you one He minute. was saying, I don't like the studio. I, I, I thought we were going to be Thank on. Thank you. No, you didn't. told me that the situation would be like this. I will leave. Thank you very much. So he decided to walk away, and I'll tell you why. You don't have to be a mind reader. He didn't want to have to follow the reality of the pain that his organization has caused. Hamas is a terror organization. That's all there is for us. The coverage is going to get picked up right now. Clear. Uh, all right, so that was, uh, again, Chris Cuomo on CNN. Uh, yeah, they are a terrorist organization. Why are you sitting down with terrorists and trying to talk to them on the network? But the fact that he has to go out and very sternly, very sternly to his audience. Those of you saying, oh, you were going to talk to Hamas, and then you didn't because you're biased. Please. All right? No or be quiet. <laughs> no or be quiet. We're biased. We're biased against Hamas and the Palestinians. Uh, yeah, they say death to America. Why would we give them a time of day? I'm sorry. The fact that there is a demand for that, there is a crowd advocating for that is unbelievable. And it shows that those are the networks that they want to go to. And the media right now, not sure how to handle this situation. We want to support the base of our listenership and our viewers but yet, this doesn't make common sense. We've led them down this path, and now we're looking back and saying, whoa, these guys are nuts. Welcome into the program. We have so much to talk about. Uh, I think that's hilarious. Well done. The mainstream media twisting themselves into the knot just to try and uh, bring a little bit of common sense back to the mainstream. And their listeners, their viewers that have been led down this road for so many years, they ain't having it, man. They want the Hamas. They want the Palestinians. They want to support the anti-Israeli, anti-Semitic message on these networks, and they want to see what they have to say. On the home front here domestically, we do have a lot uh, going on as well because it sounds like our Speaker of the House vote may be a bit delayed. 
What's trending today? As apparently it didn't happen last night, but it happened just a little bit ago, a few hours ago, as the House Republican Caucus has officially voted 113 to 99 to nominate Steve Scalise to be the Republican nominee for Speaker of the House, which means more than likely he will be Speaker of the House unless the Republican Caucus refuses to unite, which could be... I guess a possibility, but I'm hoping that maybe we've learned our lesson now as we continue to move forward. Now, I have nothing against Steve Scalise. He's actually been on this program. He's a wonderful individual, and he is slightly more conservative than Kevin McCarthy, which is great news, and not quite as conservative as Jim Jordan, but I think he's going to do a great job. And the fact that he's coming off of his cancer treatment, he's healed from his gunshot wound. I think he's going to be a staunch fighter and a great conservative to lead us down the road as he was speaking, walking into the vote earlier today about if he became the nominee and became speaker on what his first priority would actually be. Good to see y'all looking forward to going in there. Obviously, we uh, have a very important vote. It's really, really important that this Congress get back to work. We select a speaker, go to the House floor, get to 218, and then get the House working again. And the first order of business under Speaker Steve Scalise is going to bring a strong resolution expressing support for Israel. We've got a very bipartisan bill, uh, the McCall-Meeks resolution, ready to go right away to express our support for Israel. We've got to get back to work. Today we're going to do that. We're going to go get this done. That audio from Newsmax TV, by the way, as uh, Scalise, he is ready to rock and roll now, and he's trying to work on rallying the troops and trying to get everybody in unison among the Republican Party. Because remember, we don't want to have to go through another 15 votes like we did back in January for Kevin McCarthy, and I don't think we're going to have to. I am more confident. I think that this was the blow-up that we needed to really hash out our issues. And I've said before, I mean, the, the bickering among the Republican Party is good and bad. It's bad because obviously we're showing all of our dirt, all of our lack of unity, all the issues that we have within the party. But at the same time, we're also being transparent. And sometimes in a relationship, you just need to have that hashing out. Sometimes you just need to blow up, get things off your chest, just lay it out on the line. Sometimes even couples, unfortunately, like just have to go and split ways and just go take a couple days for a breath. And then they come back, they hash it out and everything's all hunky dory. But you lay it out on the table. And the Republicans did that, obviously, with the voting out of Kevin McCarthy, not holding up his end, lying to everybody from the Republican caucus to the Biden administration to the Democrat caucus. And enough was enough. We weren't seeing enough of a correction course of conservatives when it comes to fiscal issues and what the House of Representatives should be focusing on and actually doing. So it was time for a change. Now, Steve Scalise, the concern was that he was the McCarthy number two, so therefore, was he really going to be that much of a different candidate as Speaker of the House? But I believe that he will be. I believe that he will be conservative enough because he's not from California. He's from Louisiana. He's got an entirely different mindset on how these issues operate, and I think that he's got enough of a fighting edge, unlike McCarthy, who tried to be Mr. Soft-spoken, let's go with the flow, let's get everybody to sing Kumbaya, let's hold hands and just work together here. Uh Steve Scalise is going to be enough of a fighter to say, yeah, we're not going to do that. Here's our stance. We're going to stand with it. We're going to stand strong, and we're not going to back down or cower. And I hope that he's able to take that messaging into a fiscal budget that wraps up in November and say, here's what the House does. We're going to cut some spending. We're going to get things back on track. How, uh, Senate, take it or leave it, man. This is what we're going to do. And I really hope that we go down that mindset. And it sounds like most Republicans are in unison, even after 113 to 99 votes. So it was pretty split between 
Steve Scalise and Jim Jordan as the potential nominee. But Jim Jordan, as the announcement just actually before we came on the program, has announced that he will be voting for Steve Scalise. He's also advocating for everybody that did vote for him to also vote for Steve Scalise because we need to walk out of this as a stronger party. We have a major opportunity right now. Huge. I'm talking as I knock my microphone because I'm so excited. I'm talking bigly right now. And I think we're going to make it bigly. We have a huge opportunity for Republicans to work through our issues, come back completely unified. I don't want to see a single Republican vote not go towards Steve Scalise and the Speaker of the House vote, whenever it may be. It was going to be today. Apparently, it's not going to be today. We don't know the date or time when it's going to be actually held uh, on the House floor. But we need to come out stronger than ever, and we need to come out strong and forceful. We need to have complete unified votes, vote in Steve Scalise, and the Republican caucus within the House of Representatives with our slim majority that we have to ram through massive amounts of legislation, massive amounts of supporting Israel and working on the federal budget and working on the Farm Bill of 2023 and trying to uh, audit many of the different agencies and departments and getting rid of the IRS or whatever we're going to do. Whatever their plan is going to be for the next year before election time, we have to do it. And it sounds like overall we're going to see a mostly unified caucus. As even Matt Gates, after the vote of nominating Steve Scalise to be the nominee, said this. I'm excited for him. Can't wait to go vote for Steve Scalise. Absolutely. Long live, long live Speaker Scalise. Do you think he has the votes on the floor? He's a divided vote in there. I sure hope so. We'll see some democracy in action. He's in support. Even the guy that ousted Kevin McCarthy himself, he's in support. He's going to make this happen. There are a few holdouts that said, especially a congressman from Ohio, a good friend of Jim Jordan, that said that he's not going to change his vote and he will continue to vote for Jim Jordan. That's not helping. Okay? Don't be the purist. Don't be the, let's jump off the cliff with our flags held high here. Let's actually work together. We got our nominee. Let's unify. Let's show the strength of the Republican Party and go out with a bang to rally our troops before the election of 2024. This is the Voice of Reason with Andy Hoosier. Fighting for freedom every day. This is the Voice of Reason. With Andy Hoosier. Yes, indeed it is. Welcome back into it. The Republican Party has a huge, big Lee opportunity. I'm telling you, it's probably the biggest opportunity we have. We could turn around the entire mindset for the Republican Party right now if we actually come out of this strong as a unified party, not a single Republican voting against Steve Scalise and the Speaker of the House vote, whenever that may be. If we come out strong like that, then the Republican Party, the caucus, you and I, the voters that are sitting back watching all this saying, oh my gosh, what are we doing? We're beating ourselves up right now. We're just destroying ourselves going into an election. We have state Republicans uh, parties right now that are running really low on cash, that are trying to change up their leadership, that are trying to change their formation on how they actually operate. We are not in a strong state a year out from a major election of 2024. But this could be a big turning moment. This could be the turning tide. This could be the turning tide for the Civil War, so to speak, within our own party. If we come out strong, we did our damage, we got rid of our speaker, we came back, we're strong, and look at what we're going to get done, and we're going to ram through as much as we possibly can over this next year to show that the Republican Party is here to actually do something instead of just bickering about it. I hope that's the case. I'm not quite sure. It is encouraging that Matt Gates is going to be supporting Steve Scalise, there was a motion, by the way, internally within the Republican caucus, instead of actually just getting a simple majority vote 
for the uh, nominee, not for the speakership on the floor, but within the Republican caucus when we were choosing who our nominee was going to be, uh, there was a, a motion from Chip Roy and Brian Fitzpatrick from Pennsylvania to try and raise the threshold to get the nomination to 217 votes. Now, remember, there's only 221 Republicans within the caucus, which means they would have only had to have gotten half of the vote, simple majority vote from the Republican caucus to get the nominee, which they did. I mean, it was a 113 to 99 vote, but they were pushing to try and get a 217 vote threshold, meaning they could only lose four people during the vote to nominate within the Republican Party. Now, this was almost, this is a close one, 113-99. We never would have gotten a nominee if we would have gone down that road because I don't know why we would have done that. I understand the mindset to try and bring more unity even at the point of choosing the nominee, but come on, guys. Come on. Like, let's not be, again, the purists here. Let's not try and run off the cliff with our flags held high. Let's actually try and get something done. Let's get a simple majority Let's figure out who's going to be our nominee, and then let's unify, let's ram this through, and actually make this happen. There is optimism ahead of us. It's whether we take advantage of it or not, whether we seize the day and carpe diem all over this place like we try to encourage Republicans and conservatives to do each and every day. There's a perfect example of that right now, and maybe it's because we've become so complacent, we become so comfortable, we've become so just nonchalant about things. Oh, the government's going to take more money. Oh, gosh, that sucks. I'm going to type it on Twitter, and then I'm going to go out my day and just continue to pay it without actually doing anything to change it. That's the kind of the complacency that we're at in society today, and it's really because we haven't had to worry about a fight-or-flight survivalist mindset. Remember back in the old days, the caveman times, you have to have that fight-or-flight in order to survive? We haven't had to deal with that. For a long time, and therefore many have maybe forgotten it or lost that ability as a human species. Maybe not. I don't know. Maybe it just needs to be activated. Israel right now is a perfect example of that because while they're in their literal survival mode on whether their nation will survive moving forward or not with these ongoing attacks from Hamas, there is a new headline from Yahoo News that shows that the Israeli government is now forming an emergency government to try and fight Hamas. That includes, by the way, uh, both sides of the political aisle, where Benjamin Netanyahu is working with his political enemies, that includes Muslims, by the way, to form this emergency government to survive and try and fight against this terrorist organization going after the nation of Israel. That is how you unify, and that's what you have to do when you're in survival mode, because even the Muslims within the nation of Israel realize we were peaceful. We all get along. Everything's wonderful here. That's not going to be that way. If the other enemy gets what they want, let's work together, even though we're political enemies, let's work together in order to survive this and live for another day. What a concept. This is The Voice of Reason with Andy Hoosier. Reason meets radio. This is the Voice of Reason with Andy Hoosier. Yes, indeed it is. What's up? Welcome into it. It is halfway through the week already. Oh, how the time flies right on by. It's always wonderful to have you along for the ride. Trying to cram that 10 pounds of reason into that five-pound bag. Trying to rebrand the millennial generation. One radio listener at a time on all of our great radio stations that we have right now. I'm trying to find it, and I can't seem to find it, so maybe they haven't made a date yet, but 
I cannot find when we're actually going to be doing our Speaker of the House vote officially on the floor. Now, Democrats have obviously nominated Hakeem Jeffries again. Republicans, we had our caucus, even though we tried to raise that threshold to be like, oh, you can only lose four votes. Now, we did our 51% majority, and it was a close one, but it was more than 51%. As Steve Scalise is now going to be the nominee moving forward. And again, we have that opportunity. Will we see the unity of the Republican Party, or will we continue to beat each other up and show how broken that we are to the rest of the world? And I'm hoping that maybe we can clean up our dirty laundry, we can get back on track, and we can go out of this really, really strong. I'm optimistic the media obviously is going to try and tear it apart and create the drama that they love to have, but I'm optimistic that we could see something really powerful come out of this by the end of the day, whenever the speaker vote may be, which hopefully is like, oh, I don't know, tonight or tomorrow or by the end of the week at least. Good golly, how hard can this be to get Republicans to be like, hey, do your damn job and let's get things going here. Let's shift gears a little bit, shall we, and talk about the latest and what's trending. What's trending today? So outside of the Israeli issue, which we'll continue to focus on outside of the Speaker of the House vote, uh, 2020 hindsight is always the best. But sometimes we need to learn about what happened in the past. So obviously we don't make the same mistakes again moving forward. And COVID-19 and the pandemic and the lockdowns was obviously an absolute disaster and all the policies that came along with it. And as more begins to come out now... The question is, did we handle the issue appropriately, which is almost laughable, and especially for my listeners who already know that answer, did we handle the issue appropriately? That answer would be a resounding no on many different levels, one of them being the medicine itself. Why did we shun certain medications that could have helped individuals to promote a new vaccine from quote-unquote big pharma? Is that what happened, or was that the only path to try and help individuals survive this pandemic. Happy to have on the program. He is the author of the book War on Ivermectin, the medicine that saved millions and could have ended the pandemic. Really happy to have on here. It's Dr. Pierre Corey. Doctor, how are you, my friend? Doing all right. Great to be here. Yeah, I am excited to have you on here. It is fascinating to watch everything that we've gone through through these past years. And as we look back and we see the push for vaccines, we see the demonization of ivermectin and hydroxychloroquine that uh, just by saying that name, I probably will still get banned off of YouTube and other social media sites, but that's all right. Um, did ivermectin, in your opinion, actually work when we were seeing so many cases of people being testing positive with COVID-19? I mean, ivermectin is I, its one of the most proven drugs in any disease model in history. I mean, there's 99 controlled trials of ivermectin, and the summary data of it all shows an immense impact in reducing death, hospitalizations, time to clinical recovery, time to viral clearance. Um, but nobody knows this because the other side, they put out four or five fraudulent trials in high-impact journals and then just parade those around to show that it doesn't work. And it, it's absolutely, it's depraved. Um, I mean, it's caused millions of people around the world to die. Yeah, uh, it is It is sad. Why? First off, I didn't know that you could just write a fabricated uh, you know, medical piece in a journal and submit it and use that as fact. I mean, is that a normal practice in medicine? Because I wouldn't think that is. Yeah, so it's not, it's not that they're fabricated. It's that the pharmaceutical industry has for decades become expert. They know how to design trials to show that something works when it doesn't. And they know how to design trials to show something doesn't work when it does. And so they, they were fraudulent trials, which employed study design, which made it almost impossible to show that ivermectin worked. Um, I detail a lot of it in my book in a chapter called The Big Six, because it was literally six trials 
that built the evidence base. But but keep in mind that tactic. So to your question, that tactic, that tactic is part of the pharmaceutical industry's disinformation playbook. Is they, they design frauds and trials, they publish them in the highest impact journals in the world. And guess who pioneered that? The tobacco industry in the 1950s. They did that for 50 years, trying to convince the world that cigarettes weren't dangerous. And pharmaceutical industry continues to convince the world of things that are really bad for them, um, like you know, uh, destroying the evidence of efficacy for hydroxychloroquine, a lot of repurposed drugs. And then for promoting really toxic and lethal intervention like the vaccines. But that's not the first thing. I mean, they, they did this with Biox. I mean, there's numerous examples uh, of this kind of behavior in the history of the pharmaceutical industry. When did we get to a point to where we're not allowed to hold a pharmaceutical industry liable if there are a lot of uh, negative consequences? Now, obviously, everybody's body's different. Everybody reacts to things differently. So a vaccine that comes out could work great for somebody, could be completely irrelevant and just uh, kind of cancel itself out in somebody else and could have a negative consequence or some type of uh, after effect in somebody else. But if there's a larger population that continues to grow of someone having negative side effects, having negative consequences, getting sick or even dying from a vaccine itself, why are we not able to actually hold a pharmaceutical industry or pharmaceutical company accountable for that vaccine? Are we allowed to? Are we able to at all? I don't know the strategy to do that. I've long held the hope that this would be done by the lawyers. You know, it's, it's time for the lawyers, <laughs> the judges, the prosecutors, and the prisons. The problem is with the pharmaceutical industry is their immense power, their most powerful industry on earth. And I mean, they have the media, right? So they can suppress all this evidence of adverse effects. They have the journals. They have the agencies, which has been well described that our health agencies are under federal regulatory capture by that industry. And the question is, do they have the courts? And it seems like there is some evidence that they do, because, I mean, although there, I think there's been some important court cases that are still ongoing, um, it, it's not clear how, how, to, how to address this or how to expose the truth. I mean, we're all trying, so many of us screaming from the sidelines, as it were, uh, about the toxicity and lethality and, and all of the corruption uh, that, that, that occurred and was exposed in COVID. And, and, and let me just say that, you know, I didn't know any of this three years ago. In my career, I mean, I knew a big pharma was bad. I knew they did some stuff. I thought their corruption was like around marketing and drug reps and buying doctors dinners and giving them free pens. Yeah. Um, it, it has nothing to do with that. It, the, the corruption is so, the scope and scale is just unimaginable. It, it almost seems like they're crafting the entire medical industry that way to not even have to look at, you know, these aren't the droids you're looking for mindset. I mean, it's, it's uh, someone walks in and let's create a healthcare industry to where someone walks in, they're sick. Oh, here's either a pill or a vaccine for you to shoot them up. May not actually solve an issue, but it masks the symptom. Go home. And if you come back and have something else, we'll give you something else instead of actually treating actual medicine. It's, it's, it's almost like that's how medicine is done in today's times. Yeah, you know, what you just said about in today's times, what the other thing that I was shocked to learn in my research is how long this has been going on. Like your example of you go to see a doctor, you get a pill or a vaccine. It's not just a pill. It's a patented, pricey, novel pharmaceutical pill, which affords them these incredible profits. All of the safe, cheaper, well-known uh, historical therapies are literally destroyed and dismissed. They're considered to be not credible. They, they don't get the same amount of research funding or trials. And even if they do trials on some of those safe and cheap ones, they're fraudulent trials. And so it's really hard to fight against. But, but that system is designed for the results that it gets, which is what you just said, is 
you go around to doctors and they're going to give you the latest pharmaceutically marketed product. Well, it's very strange, and it's all about that profit. Prime example is this ivermectin issue. I mean, I'll never forget hearing the podcast from Joe Rogan and others who had talked about they got COVID, they used ivermectin, their doctor prescribed them ivermectin, and we have the mainstream media out there saying that uh, he's taking horse pills or horse medication in, in mm-hmm. some way, shape, or form, when, like you said, I mean, ivermectin's been an established pill in medicine for a long time, but all of a sudden, it's the most demonized pill, along with hydroxychloroquine, that's out there, and how dare you even consider using this during a time of illness? Absolutely. I mean, that that is what propaganda does. I mean, what's interesting is I have a chapter in my book called The Horse Dewormer PR Campaign, because it was a public relations campaign. It ran for about three to five weeks. It had a start. It had a trigger. And what's interesting is Joe got COVID right in the middle of that campaign. So that that immense PR campaign where every media talking head, light night talk show host, cracking jokes, every newspaper, horse dewormer, horse dewormer, horse dewormer, suddenly they turned their eyes and focus on Joe, and he became like the poster boy uh, for ivermectin because it was really bad timing, Joe. But um, it, it, it's, it's insane how they – you're absolutely right. They turned one of the safest, oldest drugs uh, in use into this incredible uh, horse deworm. They never said ivermectin. They always called it a horse dewormer. It's, it's, it's obvious to me, but maybe not to others. Wow, it's very strange. Yeah, we're talking with, uh, talking with Dr. Pierre Corey, The War on Ivermectin. Go and check out the book. It is on Amazon. Also, Del Bigtree was uh, one that wrote the forward on that. We're a big fan of his here on this program and love some of his work talking about these issues as well. Here's a question. We only have about a minute before we have to take a hard break, but do you think that people are waking up to this issue? Do you think that they're starting to realize, wait a second, maybe I have been shammed on a lot of my health care for the past decade or multiple decades on this issue just because they're trying to push me towards certain medications? I, I almost want to laugh at my answer because I've been saying that for a few years that people are waking up, they're waking up. And I've been wrong so far, but but not really. I, I do think there's something different around now. I think there's a torrent of information and adverse data. They're doing everything that they can to suppress. So I do think some, something's changing. Um, and also, I have to say that a lot of people have woken up. The, what this is exposed, for, I'm one of them who woke up in COVID. And I think there's many millions like me. Um, we just need millions more. Yeah, we need a lot more. Dr. Corey, can you stick over one more segment with us? Awesome. Awesome. I love it. I want to continue the conversation because I I want to learn more about how we can start to change this narrative outside of just letting people know, hey, it's a corrupt system. The healthcare industry is a fraud in many aspects, not the entire medical industry. People are I, I can hear nurses now call me. I can't believe you said that, Andy. We're talking about how we can actually get rid of the big pharma control over this entire industry. So how can we do that? You need to read this book. Go check it out. The War on Ivermectin. You can find it on Amazon, other places as well. It's Dr. Pierre Corey. We'll do some more of this when we come back right around the corner on a midweek celebration here on The Voice of Reason. Stay here. This is The Voice of Reason with Andy Hoosier. Fighting for freedom every day. The Voice of Reason with Andy Hoosier. Yes, indeed it is. Welcome back into it. Last few minutes of the program. Wrapping up today for a midweek celebration. Fastest hour of radio by far on, well, radio all over the place. Always a pleasure to have you with us here. We're talking with Dr. Corey. He is the author of the book, The War on Ivermectin, the medicine that saved millions and could have ended 
the pandemic as we talk about what Big Pharma has done. I have to admit, I have. we were just wrapping up the last segment about how people are awakening, so to speak, to Big Pharma, the control they have on the industry and how you can take your health back into your own hands. And I, I have to admit, I was one of those as well. My wife and I both were one of those where never saw it as a big issue, kind of heard about it, Big Pharma, yeah, okay, whatever. But... This was a big eye-opener. And now, I mean, for those that have listened for the last, I don't know, week or so on the program, I've been battling a major cold. So if I'm a little loopy on the show, that's probably why. But I've realized, even with battling this massive cold and sinus affection garbage that I'm dealing with right now, that the medicines aren't really working with it. I tried to take NyQuil a couple nights ago so I could actually sleep and not be stuffy and not have to breathe really bad, and it sucks. But the NyQuil didn't do a whole lot. Didn't really help me. Helped me for like two, three hours, and I was up and was up really the rest of the night and been that way for the last few nights. But what has been helping was taking elderberry or elderberry concentrate and then a oregano spirits, concentrated oregano spirits that Mrs. Voice of Reason and her Hoosier Health, we'll talk about that later, has made homemade that she drips into some water, and I drink that. Uh, Dr. Corey, I mean, uh, that itself has helped me more than taking, like, I don't know, whatever the, you know, Dayquil or um, Mucinex or any of that stuff. That stuff's been helping me. Yeah, and you'd never know about that otherwise. You'd never get that from a doctor. But, you know, elderberry is on our protocol. So my, my nonprofit... You know, uh, our mission since the beginning was to develop the most effective treatment protocols for, for COVID. We've developed them for flu, RSV, and we have elderberry on there. It's a really potent antiviral and anti-inflammatory, and I'm glad, glad it worked, and I, we know it works. There's actually pretty good data showing that it works, yeah. but no one ever hears about it. No one hears about this stuff. It's always about go get the pill, go get the Mucinex or the Dayquil or whatever else. And uh, if that's the way you roll, then that's fine. But there are, 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 to me, natural, better ways to allow your body to heal yourself the way it's supposed to, as opposed to masking it until it just goes away on its own, which I think ivermectin is one of those things. Uh, doctors, we wrap up in the last couple of minutes here. Uh, the medicine and the science behind ivermectin, as you said, has been around for such a long time. If we would have tried to implement this nationwide and allow people and encourage people to go and get it if they have gotten the COVID-19 pandemic and tested positive for the virus, um, I know it was a lot cheaper pill, but do you think that would have ended things so much quicker? There's not even a question that the data shows had ivermectin been systematically deployed, not only in treatment but in prevention. The trials on prevention are immensely uh, potent. Had that been our national strategy, I mean, I would say seven, probably 80 to 90 percent of the deaths and hospitalizations would have been avoided. You would not have had this catastrophe and this, this entire fear-mongering pandemic. Yeah, it is unfortunate. Doctor, where can people find your information, not only with this book, but also with all the other stuff that you're working on? Yeah, so Warren Ivermectin, that's the uh, best place to get that, I guess, is Amazon. But uh, my nonprofit organization is flccc.net. Um, and then um, I, I write on Substack on a lot of different medical topics. That's pierrecorey.substack.com, or I call it Medical Amusings. Um, and then there's my private practice where I treat actually long COVID and, and COVID vaccine injury. And that's the leading edge clinic at drpierrecorey.com. Vaccine injury. Real quickly, and we got just about, again, about a minute left here, but vaccine, what type of vaccine injuries have we seen from this, and are they reversible? So huh, there's two things that happen with the vaccine. You can get a vaccine injury or complication, or you can develop a chronic syndrome, which is very similar, almost identical to chronic fatigue syndrome. That's what I specialize in. The complications, which are the heart attacks, the strokes, 
the cancers, the aortic aneurysms, the myocarditis, that's generally dealt with the system doctors. But the, the chronic syndrome is, is really wicked. It's hard to treat. Um, we get patients better. We get them a lot better, but it's very hard to return them to normal health. Man, that's a scary thought. Uh, all these cases of people just dropping dead in the middle of like athletic games and uh, kids and, and football f- stars and artists and everybody just dropping. It's a concern, and I think that they're still related. Although, of course, Big Pharma, the government's not going to be like admitting it, but at least we're starting to see it because of how massively it's been on the rise. Doctor, keep up the fight, my friend. It's such an important issue. we got to let people know more about this. We'd love to get you back on the show again real soon. Appreciate it. Hey, absolutely. There it is. That's Dr. Pierre Corey. You can find his book, The War on Ivermectin. Go find it on Amazon. The medicine that saved millions and could have ended the pandemic. A must read to learn more about what happened. And if we try this round number two again, especially going into, I don't know, an election season where they may try to lock things down again, the things you make you go, hmm, we need to be prepared for this one. Until then, podcast up in just a little bit. We're back at it again tomorrow for the pre-Friday celebration. Go out there and be your own catalyst for change. Be your own voice of reason. This is the voice of reason. I'm Andy Hoosier. We'll see you on the radio.